I'm Pastor JP. Welcome. We are so glad you are checking us out online. We hope the word you're about to hear is an encouraging point in your life today. So we're praying for you. We love you. Stay tuned. Now we start this new series on the Psalm of Ascents. We talk about how our lives never never stop, right? It never stops. It just keeps on going. It's constantly moving forward. Now, the question is, is are we moving in the right direction? Because sometimes we can drift. And so in, in the book of Psalms, starting with chapter 120 and moving through 134, there's this section of Scripture called the, the Songs or, or the Psalms of Ascent. And they were sung. These are songs, really, that were sung as believers, worshipers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would journey to Jerusalem, to Zion. And God promises to meet them there when they do. And so these psalms are just filled with a lot of wisdom, guidance, and, and they help us reorient and get our lives kind of back in the right kind of focus. And so today is kind of like an introduction into this and why this is so important. And so if you have your Bibles, you could turn to 120. And I want to encourage you to, to read throughout the week, throughout this series, Psalms 120 through 134. Every week, just read through them over and over and over again. Because I believe it's not only going to bless you I believe you're going to start seeing things and hearing things from the Lord. And so don't rely just on the preached word. It, it, it amazes me. Some people, they just, they lean on one word that they hear preached one time a week. But God's word is powerful and, and can preach to you at any hour, at any day, often throughout the week. And so now we turn our hearts to 120. As we read, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrow and with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Mazek. And I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Put your hand there on your Bible or on your heart. Lord, we just again now pause at the reading of your word. May it come alive and, and minister and touch every heart today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was just riding along in my car, and maybe this has happened to you, and this song comes on the radio, and I had not heard it since the days of my youth, okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm old. Durr. Oh, Durr. 
I hadn't heard this since the days of my youth. But what amazed me, see, I had just dropped running off. I was alone in the car, and I was at the stoplight. And I was the line leader. And how many know when you're the line leader, you know, that's the first car. You have a responsibility. And I hold people accountable. <laughs> you're the line leader. You better act like it. And, but this song came on, and I mean, I don't know. I instinctively turned it up. I, I, I just, it, it just, I turned it up and was blaring it. And then I started singing it. And what amazed me was that I knew the words. You know, I hadn't heard it in so long, and yet I, I still kind of knew the words to this song. And the only thing that broke the moment was the honking of horns. When I realized and I looked over beside me, cars were, had all been moving for like several lengths. And I was holding up the line because I was so into this. I was so embarrassed. Now, please tell me I'm not the only one that's ever done this. Anybody else ever done this? So you're not going to admit it, but I know you have. Everybody has maybe done this once or twice. Just humor me, okay? Make the preacher feel better about himself. But I was so embarrassed. But I was impressed that I remember. And then I got to thinking about it, that the album that that song was on came out in 1990. 1990. You know how old you were in 1990? Some of you are so old, you can't even do the math. You have to get the calculator out on your phone. But I, I was around 11 or 12, okay? For context, I was 12 years old. And then I got to thinking, what in the world would a 12-year-old know about this song? Because it was like one of them songs where, you know, the, the, the ripe old age of 12 years old, you know, sitting there with you, Walkman. Anybody remember what those were? Getting teary-eyed. Pondering life, you know, and, and then, and this thinking about all the vicissitudes of of life that, of a twelve-year-old, and then this song comes on, and apparently it must have taken deep root in my heart because I remembered it, and maybe you remember it, because but I guess I'm trying to think of my twelve-year-old self sitting there going. The wind is moving, but I am standing still. What in the world? I must have been grounded. I must have been, because what could have been going on in a 12-year-old's life where I had to sit there and I internalize a life of pages waiting to be filled. Filled with what, candy? Roller skating. A heart that's hopeful. A head that's full of dreams. You know, like summer vacation and recess. But this becoming, 
is harder than it seems. Because, you know, growing up's hard. Growing up's hard, isn't it? Y'all know the song? Who knows the song? Yeah. So you got to help me sing. Feels like I'm looking for a reason. Roaming through the night to find my place in this world. My place in this world. Not a lot to lean on. I need you light to help me find my place in this world. My place in this world. Now what in the world would a 12 year old have to be so overwhelmed with life about singing about got to try to find my place in this world. But y'all knew it. You remember that. There is something distinctly human, intrinsic, that even at young ages, 9, 10, 11, and 12, we are already trying to piece together and put together where we fit in the world. And Michael W. Smith, he tapped into something, didn't he? He tapped into something. That, see, that was from the Go West Young Man album. It came out about 90, 91. But they didn't have a word for that. And I know some of you are going to be hating on me later because now that song is going to be stuck in your head all week. They didn't have a word back then for what it, we do now. It's like an urban dictionary word. It's called utopia. Utopia. It is, it's, utopia is the inability to find where oneself is. It is a, a state of disorientation. And it is, it is applied kind of in a way where you... An utopia is where you can't find or you feel disoriented, maybe literally in a geographic space, but also you feel disoriented in society or in culture or even in just a particular circumstance or, or situation or a relationship. Utopia. We, we had to come up with a, a name for it that hadn't even made its way into the official dictionary. Because, see, we have, we have words for, for, for ideals like dystopia. We know what dystopia is, and, and we know what utopia is. We, we understand completely being dysfunctional, and we understand bliss and everything just being wonderful and right. But what about that place in between? And so that, or, or, or the lack of place in between. Yeah, that, that place of unsettledness. And so utopia is, is placelessness. It's placelessness that one can experience in life. And this is exactly where the ancient people of God are coming from. 
It's what they're wrestling with too. Apparently, we, we might have invented the word, but we did not invent the condition. Being in the world, but not of the world. And that tension is unsettling. That tension, it dislodges you. That tension, it, it creates some instability. It, it, it is a placelessness feeling. And it drives you to try to find your place in this world. And that's, that and that mindset is where the ascent begins. It's where the ascent begins. It, it, it is the place, the condition that, that all of uh, humanity, all peoples everywhere... Ancient and modern alike, we all can experience. And so the psalmist, he's, you see, that's what he means when he paints the picture. He says, woe to me that I dwell in Meshach and that I live among Kedar. Now, we read those words and we're like, okay. Those sound like interesting towns. But what's interesting is that while those are real places, actual places, the psalmist can't be living in both of those places at once because Meshach is, is, is way north, way north of the promised land and Kedar is way south, way south. They couldn't be further apart. So you can't, you can't be living in both places. So the ancient reader would have immediately picked up on this right out the gate. And understood, okay, those are geographical places, but he's talking about something else here. He's talking about what these places are known for. He's talking about the meaning, the understood meaning of these places. And these particular places were known to be places of hostility, places of violence. Places of disorder, places of angry people. And think of it like this. It, he's trying to paint a picture where, where, where imagine that you are the, the in-between neighbors of the Hatfields and the McCoys. If you know the story of the Hatfields and the McCoys, over in Kentucky, West Virginia border in that area, you, you know, it's just these warring family clans. Now imagine being the, the family that lives on the street with those people, but like in between. So you, you are constantly feeling like the outsider. You don't fit in with North or South, the East or West. And it's almost as if, even though you're surrounded by people, you, you are really in isolation. And that's, that, that's the picture the psalmist is painting, that, that you, you are, we are living in society and cultures contrary to the, to the culture of Yahweh, to the, to the way of life of God. The, the kind of life that God wants us to live. 
But you're living in a place and on the, on the street with the Hatfields and the McCoys and they don't want to live for God. And they're like always, you know, being themselves. And you're in the middle of it. Theologians have a term for when the Psalms use geographical, geographical places not to actually describe a point on the map, but meaning behind that place. It's called theological topography. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it in the Psalms of Ascent. As the psalmist, though, you can hear his heart. He says, but I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying to make it work. He, does, he says, I am for peace. I am for peace. The word there, peace, is shalom. Anybody ever heard the word shalom? Kind of a famous Hebrew word, shalom. But what's so unique is while it may translate peace, it really has a, a, a wide and, and powerful range of meaning, the which I cannot even really get all into. But just to say in a simple way is that to have shalom, to really truly have shalom is, is, is to mean to have all of your life woven into all of God. That shalom is, is that interwovenness of all of you woven into all of God in everyday life, in everyday living. That to have shalom is to have that and to have that that, that is what we mean when, when we say to, to truly live whole, to be whole. Where you, you know, this psalmist is saying, look, I try. I try to speak for God. I try to live for God. But these, these folks, these Hatfields and McCoys don't have nothing of it. I, I try to, to live shalom, but they don't want shalom. They war against themselves. They war against God. They war against me. They war against God's way of kind of doing things. They war against any life that tries to, to honor God, that tries to live shalom. And so for the ascent to begin, you first have to come to grips of where you are and where you are not in this world. And you have to come to grips with the reality that change is needed. Change is needed. He says, woe to me, he says. Woe to me, too long have I lived here. Too long have I lived in this state of utopia. Too long have I lived in this instability and this struggle. It is affecting me. Something is missing. Something is off. A void is growing. I'm not whole. I don't have shalom. And, and I'm feeling like I'm suspended. But I'm just sticking it out. I'm sticking it out. But I've stayed here, the psalmist says. I have stayed here too long. I've lived on this street with the Hatfields and McCoys too long. I need a vacation. I need a break. They're, I mean, I got gunfire going off at 3 a.m. I can't sleep. 
And the psalmist is, is coming to grips with the fact of his own life. He's saying, it is time to go. It's time to go. It's time to move. It's time to change. It's time to do something different. It's time to go. Likewise, we too can find ourselves in situations that are draining. Living, in a, living on a street in between different things that are damaging to our psyches and our and our spirituality that negatively influencing us and our families and, and our lives, demoralizing things happening all the time around us, things we have no control over. We can't control the Hatfields and McCoys, can we? But, but they are physically and, and spiritually and emotionally and mentally exhausting. To have to watch your back just to go to the mailbox. And over time, all that negative influence of the world we live in, sometimes, well, their bad habits become my bad habits. So bad habits creep in. Their bad attitudes become my bad attitudes. Bad attitudes take roots. Their sin becomes my sin. Sin manifests in my life. And people get hurt. Then I find myself hurting people. I, I find myself just experiencing pain or hurt, loss and grief, sickness or strife. I, I, I find myself living in a land where the community, there's upheaval, the upheaval in the nation, there's upheaval in my family, upheaval with my friends. Till we wake up one day and we realize we have stayed in this utopia too long, it's time to go. It's time to do something. But see, here's the thing. God knew that his people would experience life this way. He knew it. So he established a system, kind of like a spiritual ecosystem. He established a rhythm for his people, he, a, a supernatural cycle, and he put it on the calendar where he says, you must break the cycle he just, he just assumed some of y'all going to live in between the Hatfields and the McCoys. He just assumed it. He knew it. And so he built in, he built this into, to, this is what it means to live for me. You got to break the cycle of everyday living and life. You have to break the utopia and meet with me. So he established early on Deuteronomy and Exodus, we read about the seven feasts and three of which, three of those feasts and festivals, they, they must pilgrim to Jerusalem. They literally have to go. They have to stop everything that's going on, everything that's happening, everything they're doing, and they have to go. Go to Jerusalem, go to Zion by another name, and meet with God. Consider it like a revival service on steroids. I mean, they knew how to do church. And you have to remember, this is, this is theological topography. So the, there, if there is placelessness, what is the opposite then? But that of presence presence and Zion Jerusalem was that guaranteed place of presence 
you belong here. It's a place of presence. I, your God, am here, and I see you. I see and hear you. You have presence. Wow. You are seen. You are heard in this place. And so while the pilgrims travel, while they set out from distant lands and started to make their way to Jerusalem, to Zion, they, they approached the holy city. And while it was still afar off, they began then to start get their lives back on track. They started, you know what I'm saying? They started, because uh, now they've stopped everything. And, they, and, and, and maybe they're traveling with their whole families. It was mandated for males, but sometimes whole families would go. And so, and there's questions. Why are you doing this? My dad, why are you leaving? Why are you, why are you going? What's happening? And so it brings the whole community into focus of what this is about. So worship began not when they got to the place. It began while they were on their way. They started getting their lives back in focus. And they began to worship. They began to sing. They began to, to sing out loud with every step towards Zion. They, they let God work in their lives. And, and with every step, disorder would, would melt away and the rule and reign of God would once again be refired and refined in their hearts that literally it would lift their spirits because as they approached the city, because Jerusalem is high up upon an elevation, there are no way in which you can approach that city where, where you, you, you have to go up. You have to ascend. And so, no matter what direction you're coming from, no matter where you are, who you are, you have to ascend into his presence. And while in ascent, you prepare. And that's where we get the songs of this ascent. We get the songs, the psalms, basically, by another name. You could title them. These are the songs that help you get your life back on track. These are the songs of worship. These are the songs of devotion. These are the songs of prayer. But they're raw and they're real and they were sung. So all together, let's sing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we wouldn't even know the melody. But maybe you, maybe you could sing them in your own private devotion. But these songs were so powerful that for hundreds of years, they were passed down just by the singing of them. And then someone wrote them down and passed them down and they became the songs of ascent. And in a way, the whole book of Psalms, Psalms is just stringed instruments. The Hebrew word that would later be translated as Psalm basically just means praise. Psalms is nothing but but believers' first worship manual. And they memorized the songs of ascent 
because it was a way of getting their life on track because you don't just show up for revival. You prepare for it. They prepared for it. See, in a disorienting world, we need more than just navigation. We need the navigator. And that's, that's what this does. That's what these songs were meant to do. The psalmist says, in my distress, in my distress. And, but there's all kinds of, of distress. What kind of distress is he talking about? In your distress. There's lots of Hebrew words that translate distress. But this one, the one used here, it, it translates loosely from, or strictly really, from a phrase meaning tight situations. Tight situations. So in my tight situation is another way. You could jot that down. In my, in my tight situation, you, you're asking yourself, when is it time to go? When is it time to go? When is it time to make a change? When is it time to get things in order? When is it time? When do you run to the place where you truly have presence? When you find yourself in a tight situation. That's what the psalmist is saying. It's time to go. It's time to start your journey. You find yourself in a tight situation? Let's go. Sing a song. Get, get packed. Start to worship. Start to pray. Start singing the word. Go. Don't wait till you're totally broken. When you start to feel the squeeze, that's your sign. I've been here too long. I've been in this place, this situation, this. I've lived on the street. With the Hatfield and McCoy, long enough, it's time. I need a break. I might even need a new address. I've stayed here long enough. See, the cure for utopia is an altar. And we try to find the cure every place else for our disorientation. But we have long known the real cure. And it's an altar. And it's not even one that we have to put ourselves on per se. Jesus has already done that. It's simply one we come and surrender to. You've been out of shape? Maybe it's time to bend the knee at an altar. Because this world is crazy. I thought I'd get more witnesses. <laughs> this world is crazy, y'all. And the all the stuff that's happening around? How do we not look at the news feed and then experience life and what's, only, what's happening in our own lives personally and not think to ourselves, oh my goodness, it's time to go. And the exiled Israelites, by the way, when, when there were seasons and times and eventually there would come a time when the Israelites could no longer go to Jerusalem. What they did instead was weekly meet on the Sabbath. And they started that tradition. And they would use the songs of ascent to help them in their worship time and their worship. See, you know, our worship services are a lot like how our 
forebearers, our ancient forebearers in Yahweh worshiped. A lot of singing and praying and seeking God. And they met on the Sabbath. Their Sabbath might have been on a Saturday. Our Sabbath is on a Sunday. Do we know why? Because it's the day Jesus rose from the grave. So they would ascend. They would ascend. So why go now? And how often? The psalmist said, listen, this world, they're ready for war. They are ready for war. The picture that he's painting What's it saying? It's saying, listen, you are surrounded by forces that want to destroy you. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, you have an enemy, though, that wants to destroy you. And even Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus made it clear. Forces want to drag you down. There are forces in this world want to snuff you out, want to take your stuff, want to kill your spirit, want to dampen your joy, want to destroy your body, want to, want to take away everything you hold dear, dear, want to, want to hurt you and your family and your friends and your relationship with God. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. What does that sound like, to have life and to have it to the full? It sounds an awful lot like shalom. To have all of our lives wrapped up in all of Jesus. So why do we ascend? Why do we make changes? Why do we do the things we do? Especially as a, as a body of believers, as a church. Why is all of this so vital? Well, the psalmist said, because you're living in a land of lion lips, deceitful tongues, and warishness. Warishness. I don't even know if that's a word, but I like it. Warishness. Lion lips, deceitful tongues. What's, the, what's happening Think about the Hatfields and McCoys. There's a lot of tongue wagging in there in that story. See, whether you like it or not, we're in a war of words. Lies versus the truth. We're in wars of words all the time, coming at your heart and mind. And so you, the only way to combat that, like you living in a look, you didn't start the war. You're not trying to participate in the war. This is their war of war. You're not even, you're not even really trying to engage it. You're trying to have shalom and pass shalom around, uh, along. But so, so how do you feel yourself though with shalom when you live in a land that's just constantly fighting and having these war of words? How do you weave? You do everything you can then to weave all of you into all of Jesus. You have to ascend the mess. Ascend the mess. And these ancient songs show us how. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about all the different things these songs cover and how they help us ascend the mess. Because see, you got to speak 
shalom if you want to live shalom. You've got to pray shalom if you want to see shalom. You've got to sing shalom if you want to experience shalom. See, you've got to know what it is if you want to live in it. But you've got to know truth. And you're living in a land full of words that are warring. Because see, we hunger for this kind of feeling. Feeling inside of us in a world that's famished. And everyone, everyone is, is living in this utopia. And there are a lot of voices out there trying to tell you what's going to make you whole. What the answer is. What's, what's going to complete you? It's the blind leading the blind. But then what shall we do then? We ascend. We take a trip. We refocus. God can deliver. The psalmist says God can lay waste to the enemy and all those lies and the confusion that it brings. What did the psalmist say? say he said, he said he's, the warrior has sharp arrows and a broom brush, a broom bush coals. Broom bush coals. That don't sound like much, does it, though? Not to us, but to the ancients singing it. These were devastating weapons of war. These were huge. These were huge and devastating. You had broom bush coals for your fire that's next level stuff that's like saying you have you know a nuclear bomb but like in ancient days what's he what's he saying the enemy's arrows they're blunt God's however are sharp the enemy's lies are blunt is what they're professing is blunt but God's truth is sharp we'll push it back destroy it every time the enemy's fire, it could be easily snuffed out. But God's fire, God's fire burns like, a, like the coal of a broom bush. You can't put that stuff out. I mean, saying, saying something burns like the coal of a broom bush, he's, broom, a broom bush, he's name dropping. It's like a brand name. You know what I mean? How many, you know, you, you got the generic stuff and then you got the brand name stuff. And the world's constantly offering you, you know, tissue bright. But you know, there's some things you just got to have the brand name. And we're going for that Charmin Ultra. We're going to get the real stuff. We need the real thing. We don't need fake fire. We need the real fire. It's the best kind of fire, that broom bush fire. Broom bush fire. See, that's what the... See... You got to get your head in where they were at so you can understand the meaning so it can speak to you. Put it another way, what's the psalmist saying? He's saying what we read in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is name brand, y'all. It is the true good stuff. You can't beat it. It's the best. Why would you apply anything else to your life? So why ascend? Why challenge yourself? Why break the cycle? 
Week after week, year after year, God built this into the life of his people early on because he knew what they were going to have to wade through in this life and that they would need renewal and need revival. Why we ain't in church every day of the week is the real question, not why do some people come only a couple times a, you know, a month. Truth is, we need more of God. Not more church, you need more Jesus. Church, listen, you don't need more of this building. This building just happens to be a tool that we meet in. You, the church, the gathering of God's people is the, also the initiation of God's presence. You now are Zion. Two or three gather. Hey, there he is. I tell you what, when you get with these folks, if it doesn't do something in your life and, and, and encourage you and build you up, you let me know. We'll stop that thing. But I'd like to think all those groups up on that wall that you can participate in, the midweek uh, programs and services that we have for children and youth and now adults on, on Wednesday, Sunday morning, all of this is designed to help you break the cycle of the mess you're having to wade through so you can enter in and, and, and get a little bit more truth in your life to push back that darkness. Because listen, when we call on God, he answers. That's the promise. When we call on God, we don't just get replies. We get relief. We get relief. How many hate it when you contact customer service and the only thing you get back is, thank you for your message. Thank you for communicating your concern. I don't, listen, thank you for the reply, but like, I want a real response. I want some action. And, and the psalmist is saying, hey, we get action when we call on our God that his word is active and moving. So why is sin? Why not? Why? Why take time when we go up into God's presence often as we possibly can because we need it. Whether we realize it or not. Because you living in the middle of Hatfields and McCoys because you're in the world but not of it. And when we call on our God, he doesn't just say, I heard you. Thank you for the message. He brings relief. So we go up. That's, that's, that's what the next few weeks, that's what we're gonna try to do. We're gonna try to go up. We're going up. Your life, listen, you know if your life needs to take a new turn. You know it. You know it. Maybe it's time to go up. You know that relationship needs a new turn. You know that situation, you wanna quit, quit getting what you're getting, you gotta quit doing what you're doing. You know you need to take a turn. You gotta break the cycle. And God is just waiting for you to call. To come on up. And the good thing is, is that you don't have to buy a plane ticket 
question is, is it time to go? Is it time to go? Because maybe you've forgotten your place in this world. Because he has a place for you. He has shalom for you. There is a state. He wouldn't have promised it if there wasn't a state for us to, to be woven into him. And don't you get tired of singing about God breaking anxiety off of your life? Don't you just want it to be broke and done away with? Shalom. Don't, don't you get tired of fighting all the, the, all the, the same problems keep creeping back up into your life? You're like, why, why? Why do I keep dealing with the same problems in my relationships, the same problem in my professional life, the same problem even in my, in my walk with the Lord? Well, if the only time you're going up is when your utopia gets so bad, you're so broken, you finally throw yourself on the, the altar, you, you, you're waiting too long. The psalmist said, I've, too long have I been in this place. Why not build into your calendar, into your routine, even into your day, into your hour if you have to? A daily, constant, weekly routine of connecting, ascending, letting the presence of God move in your life in some way, some form of prayer, Bible reading, worship, corporate gathering, being with one another, serving one another. Ascend. Get off of the couch and ascend. Get off of your phones and screens and ascend. Get out of those inappropriate relationships and ascend. God has so much more for you. Too long have you lived in that place. You fill in the blank. Maybe it's time to break that cycle and enter into a season of prayer, of a worship, of digging deep. Take the trip. Hang in there with me over the next few weeks. We're going to climb. We're going to ascend. And then the real question is, is who's hungry for more? Who's hungry for more? Who wants more? Because I think we need to get into this thing. Get into this thing. And I think we might see the God of this thing. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. When's the last time God has answered you? Well, when's the last time you've ascended? Thanks for joining us again. We hope today's word was a blessing to you. Maybe even challenged and inspired you. We'd love to connect with you, serve you in any way. Go to mynorthside.church, click the link for us to connect. We are praying for you. We believe that God has great things in store for you. We'll see you next time.